Hey guys, welcome to season three of the Drafty Moms podcast. I'm your host, Lynn Nitcher. Now, I normally like things consistent, but I'm so ready for new things and experiences. This last year has been one that we would like to all forget for a lot of reasons. But on the other hand, God has showed up over and over and taught me so much about myself, His purpose, and what He has for me. So that's my challenge to you. What do you want to take away from your time spent reflecting? Maybe God has given you a new insight. I hope these episodes are inspiring, informative, and hopeful, always showing God's grace, goodness, and that He's faithfully walking with us day by day. Thanks for listening. I'm so glad you're here. Here we go. Hey guys, happy Wednesday and welcome to the Drive Through Moms podcast. I'm your host, Lynn Nitcher. Today we have a very special guest, Miss Sarah Teasdale. Is that how you say it, Sarah? Yes, that's exactly how you say it. (laughs) Okay, so Sarah is a mom of five, a former teacher, instructional coach, an assistant principal for a large suburban school district, but God did a number on her heart a few years ago and has since worked for a ministry here in McKinney where she's now the Senior Director of Operations. So welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to hear way uh, more information than I know about about the ministry where you are. So I first heard about the 25 Project at church. Um, I guess there was sort of a mission fair of sorts. And I know you guys had a table and I've also seen you on Instagram. So I can't wait to hear all about the ministry. But before we get started, um, tell us a little bit about you and your family and your kids ages. I know you've got five kiddos, right? Yes, I have five. <laughs> okay. So you were how, uh, boys, girls, what are their ages? Uh, so I have five kids. Um, my oldest is Joseph. He's 29. And then we have Alec, who's 22, and Eli, who is 15. And then Adrian, who is 11, and Jasmine, who is 10. So you've got a wide range there. Very. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, You were, how did you get started in education? You were a teacher and then kind of made the next step to instructional coach and assistant principal. Um, Did you always want to be a teacher or be in the classroom? Actually, I didn't always want to be a teacher. I was going in a completely different field into the dental field. Wow. That's that's opposite. (laughs) Yes. I was taking all my sciences and probably three years in, I just didn't I knew I didn't have a passion for that. So I took a year off and took a job as a um, teacher's assistant at a school to see if that's really where my passion lied. And then so you were you always in the same area? I know you were here in the McKinney area. Um, you just started in the classroom as an aide and then decided to go back to school and get certification or what did that look like? Yeah. So I completed a year. I worked with kindergarten, first grade. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. I knew without a doubt that was my calling. So I went ahead and went back to college and finished out um, my degree in education. And I knew I wanted to work at a title one school, um, and there were only five options where I applied. There's only five Title I campuses, elementary campuses. So I interviewed at actually the school I attended as an elementary uh, student and was hired there as a third grade teacher. That had to be sweet to be back where you grew up. It's always interesting to go back to a school where you used to be. Everything always seems 
so much smaller <laughs> than, yeah. than you remembered. But so you were there for how long before you kind of stepped into a different role? So I was in a classroom for five short years uh, and I absolutely loved every moment of it. I thought I will teach forever and ever. This is, I could do this forever. So um, about, well, uh, probably four years, three years in our, my principal asked me to apply for instructional coach position. And I was like, I've only taught three years. Like I, I can't do that. So they were like, well, just interview. It'll be good practice. So I interviewed. They went with someone else, which I totally expected. And after another couple of years, um, that position became available. And they were like, we want you to interview again. So I interviewed. And anytime I um, step into something, I asked the Lord, like, if this is not a door you want me to go through, please close it and make it very clear what I'm supposed to do. And they offered me the position. So, uh, I went into that position for two years. Okay. And then, um, the, I guess is the, the natural progression that typically teacher, if you're going towards more administration, so teacher, instructional coach, assistant principal, is that kind of typically yes. how that works? Okay. Um, for the district. Yes. That's, that's how a lot of the course that many people took that wanted to go into administration. So you were how long um, in education total before you kind of changed direction a few years ago? 11 years. So I, after two years of being an instructional coach and thinking, I love this. I will never do anything different. I loved working with new teachers and just helping them uh, develop their skills. Uh, I was asked to interview for an assistant principal position. And I actually didn't have my administrative degree. So uh, it was one of those impossibilities. Like, they're not going to hire me. I don't even have the degree for this. But um, they hired me as an assistant principal intern until I finished my degree in administration to get my master's. Okay, because you had to have your master's for that then. Yes. So how long were you at an assistant principal. So was that also at an elementary school or were you working with older kids at that point? So my whole career was at one school at the same school. Oh, okay. So four years I was assistant principal and uh, loved that as well. Well, that's awesome because a lot of people maybe get in a position in a job that they don't necessarily love. So that's can be rare sometimes though. That's awesome that God brought you. Um, And I think that's a large part of it is, laying those things at his feet and praying and asking him to show you really clearly um, uh, to show you one way or the other, is this something that you want me to step into or not? And that, you know, it, in our experience, at least my husband's not anytime that we've prayed specifically about something like that, he's always very clear and very um, obviously willing to kind of make that known, the decision known to us to yeah. make it easier on our side, regardless of what it is. So um, yes, He's been very good to us in that way that he has always confirmed in multiple ways. Yes, this is the way I want you to walk. Right. And that's just what he wants us to do is ask. So, Mm -hmm. so tell me a little bit about what happened. So that brings us to um, where you are now at the 25 project. So um, I guess this was 
back a few years ago, you went on a mission trip and God just kind of changed your heart. So why don't you talk about that experience a little bit and how you got from education, working with teachers and families and kiddos to what you're doing now, which sounds like, I mean, the Lord just had so much experience laid out in front of you for where you do, where you are now. Yes. I get real reflective this time of year because I finished out education in June and began at the 25 project in July. So I just get really reflective on what that path the Lord has taken me on. And like looking back, it, it was all preparation for what I was doing now. Right. Um, so in 2013, I felt very called to go on a mission trip. Um, our church was, uh, really missionally minded. And I thought, okay, I could feel, I could sense that the Lord was wanting me to go. Um, so I was looking for opportunities in countries where they spoke Spanish because I'm a fluent Spanish speaker. Um, and just the Lord just kept impressing Africa. And I was like, no, I will never go to Africa. <laughs> um, so it, it just, every time the opportunity um, presented itself for Africa, I knew that's where I was supposed to be. So um, eventually I gave in uh, in October of 2013. I, um, well, right before that, I, I signed up to go to Sierra Leone in Africa, that's West Africa, uh, with the 25 Project. And so in October of 2013, I went and we spent a week there with kids um, in the ministry, uh, sharing God's word and just planting seeds. And I loved every part of it, which I knew I would love it because I love working with children. Um, but I can see how God, like every concern I had going to Africa was the Lord was like, that's not even going to be a concern. And it was just the smoothest travel. I had no anxiety that I thought I might have. It was just a great experience. And so you had felt like you really going into it. If you went on a mission trip, you wanted to go somewhere where you could speak Spanish. Mm -hmm. And you're like, that, that's what made sense to you. And the Lord said, yeah, no, that's not the way we're going to go. <laughs> but, yes. I, but I love that because those are those experiences where, you know, you absolutely knew it was the Lord. It wasn't about you or your Spanish speaking capabilities. It was about mm -hmm. the Lord navigating and, you know, filling those gaps that, there was no way in your mind that you didn't see that it was the Lord, um, you know, taking care of the situation and what you thought, oh, this wasn't about you, um, mm -hmm. but how he was going to provide. So I love that about how he kind of steps in on stuff. Um, so what was that like after you left and were getting ready to come back? So you spent a week there, you knew you loved it, you came home and then what happened next? So I came home and I felt the Holy Spirit kind of saying like, that's not like, that wasn't a thing you're going to check off and you're done. Like there's something more. So I was like, okay, well I'll go again next year. Sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> and I still, even after I committed to going again in for October of 14, I was like, the Lord just, uh, I read an article during that time that I was just like, what is this? What is this? I came across an article where a woman who was an atheist had come to faith in Christ and she described it as the hound of heaven. The hound of heaven was 
you know, constantly moving in her life until she became a believer. And I was like, this is what is happening to me, the hound of heaven. What is this that you want me to do? And so I, um, not long after, like in November, we had that, that team that went to Sierra Leone, we had a reunion and just discussed, you know, what the Lord had done while we were there and how we were feeling now. And it was great. And as I'm walking out, out of the door to leave, um, the gentleman who works with already served with the 25 project said, you know, we've, we've really been looking for someone with, you know, experience with children, but also administrative experience to come and take over our sponsorship ministry at the 25 project. And I just laughed and walked out. I didn't say a word. <laughs> You're like, oh, that's what maybe the Lord meant, but I'm just going to think about it for a little bit. Yes. I thought, okay, I'm like, you know, I love what I do. I, I'm not ready to leave this. Like, I, no, <laughs> I yeah. don't even want to entertain that thought. But immediately when I got in my car and started driving home, the tears came and I knew without a doubt, this is what the Lord wanted. So um, we set up a meeting with the director, my husband and I, to discuss this. When I told him, I had not shared with my husband like that I was ha- was in this struggle because I didn't, I couldn't really explain what it was even. Um, and so that night when I came home, I said, this is what I've been struggling with. And I've just felt like the Lord wants it. There's something more. And then he, he's saying, you know, that they're, have this position available, could it be that's what the Lord wants? And my husband immediately says, before you left, I knew. The Lord put it in my heart. I knew this was not going to be it for you in ministry. Um, That's awesome. That gives me goosebumps to think that, you know, God works on the hearts of the people that are around us and in our lives. And, you know, obviously unbeknownst to you because you hadn't really shared uh, with him yet. But, um those things are going on sometimes and we have no idea uh, that, that he's preparing other people in our world for what our heart is, is um, being pounded about. I love that mm-hmm. phrase. That's pretty awesome. I love that <laughs> a lot. I love that a lot. You'll have to share the article with me if you ever find it. Um, so tell me about, we haven't really gotten to specifics. So let's talk about the 25 projects specifically and what they do. Like obviously you went on the mission trip, but mm-hmm. where does the name 25 project come from? So the name 25 Project comes out of Matthew 2540. And as as you have done to the least of these, you have done unto me. So really focusing on very vulnerable children. Um, that's where the name comes from. And then so what are the kinds of things? Um, explain a little bit about what 25 Project does aside from the mission, uh, the mission trips in general. So we serve vulnerable and orphan children, and we take, as uh, Jesus did in the Bible, we take a holistic approach, uh, and it varies from country to country, but we make sure that they're prepared for school. We take care of their medical. We provide uh, not all, but part of their uh, food, whatever that may look like in that country, and then we pour most important thing and what we are all about is about Jesus and sharing the love of Christ with them. So we have discipleship going on in each of our locations that looks different in every location, but at least weekly. 
So as far as the, you're over, you're the director of sponsorship or over sponsorship ministries. What, what does the sponsorship side look like for people that might want to find out about these kiddos that you guys have identified? And then kind of what is the identification process like in the countries that you serve? So the identification process is again, different for every location where we work, but it's always has some uh, level of need, right? Like if they can afford to go to school and they're, we're really looking for the kids that are literally on the street and they cannot, if we don't step in, they will not be able to go to school or they're just living from meal to meal in Sierra Leone. We have kids that are carrying loads just to make enough money for one meal. So we're really looking for the neediest of children. Um, and so that, looks a little different in every country, but it's always the kids that just are not going to be able to go to school or, you know, they just might not even survive in their living situations. Based on their family and just their, their level of income and food and what it's like at home, whether or not. So do you have kiddos that are a part of the program that people can sponsor that have parents that are alive? Are they living at home? Are they, you know, what's that look like? A lot of our um, kids, um, and it's a common, this, that's the, a common thread is they're being raised by either grandparents or by uh, a mother, a single mother. So um, that's what a lot of the situations look like. Or an aunt, um, it's usually limited male influence in their lives. Um, so... So kids that are definitely at risk, severe risk, not like the at risk maybe that we would see here near as much. But um, so what does um, a typical sponsorship look like? So if if you've got these kiddos in these different countries, so you mentioned Sierra Leone, I know you do, um, you have a, a work in the Dominican and then where else do you guys go? We also work in India and we work in South Africa. And then of course we have our local ministry in Melissa. Okay. So if somebody, you know, say somebody just walk us through, if somebody went to the website and they saw the pictures, cause there's tons, it, it, I, my husband and I have been through it multiple times <laughs> and looked through these sweet faces of the kids that are on there, the kids that you guys have identified. So do these families, do you guys seek them out? They're just people you become aware of, or how do you become aware of them? Do the parents apply or what does that look like? So our, um, our leaders on the ground, uh, the first thing they do is they, they, when we begin ministry in a location, the first thing before we identify any kids or try to start a ministry in that area is that our leaders are building relationships with the community. So before we even, you know, have a child, um, in the ministry, first, they've already built those relationships of trust within that community. And then as they build those relationships and they start to figure out our leaders like, okay, there's a need here, there's a need here. And then that's kind of how it starts. It starts with first building relationships of trust with the communities where we serve. Okay. So the kiddos that are on uh, you know, say on the website um, for if somebody say they wanted to sponsor them, what does a sponsorship look like? So a sponsorship, uh, when I first started with the 25 projects, it's been years now, 
we had a one sponsor model. So every child had one sponsor and that was $36 a month. But as time went on and prices, inflation kept occurring in each of the countries where we serve, it was apparent that $36 was not able to provide holistically for that child. So a few years ago, we moved to a two sponsors, the, the possibility of two sponsors per child. So sometimes we'll have someone come in and say, I can fully sponsor this child at $72 a month, or they say, I can partially sponsor this child at $36 a month. And we went with that model just to make it more affordable for anyone who would want to sponsor. So then that $36 for whatever kiddo somebody sponsors, that provides them with, you said, food and then the ability to go to school. Um, what other kinds of things does that does that kind of cover? Because it, so, it doesn't sound like a lot, but I know <laughs> it's, you know, it's different. I mean, it's sad. We spend more than that. We go out to dinner, you know, mm-hmm. here just for the two of us. So um, what, how far does that 36 really stretch? Well, it, again, that depends on the country. In the Dominican, it doesn't stretch as far as, say, Sierra Leone. Um, and then South Africa, because our kids are uh, in a school all week, they're board, they, it's kind of like boarding school, but they do go home on the weekends. And India is the same. They stay at our homes. Um, that It just depends how far that goes. But either way, we always... Once a child is sponsored, at least partially, we provide whether that dollar can fulfill all those needs or not. We fully provide for them to have a successful experience in school, whether that's tuition and supplies or just supplies. Um, again, food, we, we take a very careful approach in how we help children in poverty and families in poverty. And... Um, so we provide part of their food, not all of their food. And then their medical care, anytime they have a medical need, they just let our directors know they're in close contact with our directors at all times. Even though they have discipleship, maybe just once a week, we have things going on throughout the week at the ministry center. So they just make them aware that, you know, they're sick and they get t- they go to their doctor. Um, and then that makes it possible also to have discipleship every week for them. And we have, again, it looks different in different locations, but uh, at two of our locations, that looks like a discipleship plus a meal that is served to anyone in the community. So that's great. So that's not just the kiddos that are necessarily sponsored, but it also includes other people that come to the discipleship part of it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So if you're a sponsor of a kiddo, what does that look like other than, okay, yeah, I, I'm giving, you know, funds to help make sure all of this, um, you know, helps take care of their physical and spiritual needs and their educational needs. But what kind of, do, what does the relationship look like in terms of a sponsor with a kiddo? Um, you know, obviously you would have the opportunity to go on a trip uh, potentially and meet them at some point, but mm-hmm. how does, what does that relationship look like between the sponsor and the kiddo? So that can look the way we would love for all the sponsorships to look is that, uh, we have, uh, opportunities for the sponsors to write to their child at least twice a year. 
And then they can expect to receive a letter back from their child twice a year. We try, we do at least one picture update, if not more. Uh, we have personal updates. Like right now, I have all the updates for every child in Sierra Leone. And that is like a personal email to that sponsor that says, your child, this is how they're doing in their spiritual walk, in their educational walk. If they have any medical issues, it's just a, a very specific update on every child. Um, and then obviously the, the, the ability to go and meet that child with a team. So I think what sets us apart from any other ministry that does uh, sponsorship of children is that we want a very, per- we have as a staff, we have a very personal relationship with the children. Our staff on the ground have a very personal relationship with the children. And then our sponsors have that ability to have a very personal relationship with their uh, child. Do it. What do you think the percentage is of the people that are sponsors that actually get to go or maybe take the, the opportunity to go and meet their, their child that they sponsor somewhere? I mean, just mm. off the top of your head. I'd say about 25%. Really? Maybe lower. Yes. But obviously y'all would love that goal to be everybody to be able to have an opportunity oh. or to, to go to take the time or, or make that a priority. Oh, um, yes. That would be a dream. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I can't imagine that that wouldn't just change your heart so much. I know I probably told you this when we first started talking. One of the reasons that we got interested in talking to you guys and finding out more about you, especially because we saw some work that you've done in the DR is um, we went on a trip, an anniversary trip a couple of years ago for our 30th. We had been out of the country and oh, since before our kids were born and I have a, my oldest is 29 as well. So we went to the DR and we just met these young adults after young adults working at these, at the resort that we were at that mm-hmm. were there for three to four weeks at a time and their children lived, um, you know, we were in Punta Cana and their children lived in Santa Domingo. So I don't know, two or three hours away and they're living with grandma. So like they don't get to see them. Um, and I don't know whether that was just the beginning of the Lord going, Hey, I want you to find out more about this mm-hmm. <laughs> because it was kind of heartbreaking to think that, I mean, they were there, they had a job, they were thankful, mm-hmm. but there were apartment buildings across the street from these resorts where all of the workers lived, but knowing that they weren't with their children for sometimes month on end, um, that they were living somewhere else. And then, like you said, in the care of a grandparent or an aunt or something else. So, mm-hmm. um, anyway, that was kind of the first little nugget that God put on our heart about all of this. But, um, what do you think? Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say time and time again, uh, the the trip that we took to the Dominican right before COVID, I had two of the teachers I used to teach with go with me. And they had heard me talk about all the locations where we serve over and over and over again. They'd seen pictures. They see, you know, the posts that I post, or the 25 Project posts. And when they went, they were like, I just... I thought I knew, but I really didn't know. Mm -hmm. And then this July, I had someone for my Bible study go and she took her daughter and it was the same thing. She was like, I've heard you talk about this for years. 
but I never understood. Now that I'm here, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. And we had one of our, one of our daughters, my middle one went to the DR on a couple of different mission trips. Um, and she used to talk about the Bateas and the difference between the Dominicans and the Haitians. And I don't even understand all of that. So in terms of, you know, the Dominicans finding work, Mm-hmm. Uh, what is what is that like? Is that part of the reason why there's such a, a hard time with a lot of those finding work because of where they live, because of their nationality, cultural differences? Uh, yes, there's a lot of racial tension in the DR between the Haitians and the Dominicans. Even uh, some of the children we serve, you know, maybe their grandparents lived in Haiti, but they've never lived in Haiti and their primary language is Spanish. Um, there's still that racial tension. So, um, breaking, we work in two villages there. One is a Dominican village, one is a Haitian. So what we've really tried to do is break down those racial barriers. And, um, we've made some progress there. The Lord has really not us. And so it's been exciting to see that, even if it's just this, these two villages right now, who knows what the Lord will do in the future, that those barriers, some of those barriers are being broken. So how do you feel like, or what do you think maybe is something that's the biggest blessing and the biggest thing for you as a mom? How is going from being an educator in the classroom in the United States to working for a ministry that works in um, countries with impoverished children? How is that change in your own vocation um, affected you as a mom? Uh, Well, (laughs) you know, I have five children, but really I have about 440 more. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Um, I love um, being that uh, as much as I can, but also, you know, sharing my faults with all the children. But, you know, it I really didn't know either. When I went back in 2013, I didn't sponsor. I, I just didn't have any idea what I was walking into. And it really was so shocking to see how children are living, um, the conditions they live. Um, so I think the Lord has used that obviously for me to be moved to go into ministry and, I always say we're not taking God to these countries. God has been at work work in these countries for years. We're just he gives us the privilege of joining him in that work. Right. He doesn't need us, but he calls us to that work. Right. Um, but it really just opened my eyes to the orphaned. And so um Probably in 2015 we started the process of uh, fostering to adopt. So it's changed our life drastically. Um, We never thought of adoption until God really worked in my husband and me. He's been to the Dominican. Um, One of our children has been twice. One has been once. The... Just the plight of the orphaned and the vulnerable children around the world has really impacted us as a family. Obviously, we we adopted two children. And then my son, who's been twice, he changed his major to go into social work. So it's really awesome to see how the Lord has, um, even with my kids, 
change their perspective. And um, while we don't go to like, you know, we don't take our kids saying you should see how, you know, other people live. It's no, you should go and share the gospel with other people. Right. Um, it's, it's been interesting how it's impacted our whole family in, in huge ways. Well, but just to see the obedience of, of doing something really that you set out originally, I'll, this isn't really where I want to go. I'm not really sure this is what I want to do, but mm-hmm. I love you, Lord. I trust you. I'm going to do what you're asking me to do. And because of your obedience, you know, the the ripple effect that it's had not only from you to your husband, to your kids, to your family, um, and to other people that are around you allows God to partner with more people mm-hmm. um, and more people be to be drawn into sharing the gospel with more families. Um, so I, I love that whole part of your story. Um, I know there has to be some sort of a story from you don't go on mission trips um, without some sort of experience over the summer, but I know you had a couple of different trips this summer. Was there any kind of a story or something that you would want to share about the summer trips? I have so many stories, but I do have one that has really stuck with me and has even impacted like our curriculum for next year on the lessons that we'll teach through with all the teens. Um, in Sierra Leone, uh, while I was there in Mar- May, I believe, <laughs> they all get kind of, I get confused on what dates they are, but <laughs> I was there sometime in the, re- in the, in the recent Recently, in the last few months. (laughs) Um, And I had a group of kids, um, you know, we break the kids up in group and we would get so that we're able to really get everyone who's teaching can really get down and really uh, go deep with the children Um, and young adults. At this point, we have, you know, teenagers and kids that are in college. Um, But we had one of our kids is named Solomon and he's been in our ministry since 2016. He's fully sponsored, but he was in my group and, you know, we were kind of wrapping up and I said, do you guys have any questions for me? And Solomon's like, yes, I have a question. And he pulls out of his pocket, this piece of paper that had questions all the way down. I was like, (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) This is going to be tough. Um, And just quickly prayed, Lord, help me. And, you know, I may not have the answers to all of these questions he has. But his first question that he didn't even have to look at his paper was, does my life really matter? Mm. And that was just, I just immediately was like, that's why, you know, when we go we say we're not going to we're not going to be able to reach all the kids at camp right but if we can impact one or two or three that's what the lord calls us to uh he doesn't call us to all of them you know and and every trip i take it's a different child or sometimes it's the same child i know them all personally but there's always something the lord has for me specifically with a child and with solomon it was to reassure him that his life didn't matter and that God sees him and knows his every hardship, his every joy. And um, 
that was just really touching. And luckily, our leader was always, always was also nearby my group, and so she was able to also reinforce, like, yes, your life matters yeah. so much to God, to us. Um, so we had three days of camp with Solomon, and the the next two days we had another group. But Solomon came by the ministry center after school every day. And would pause there and I would go over and say, does your life matter? And the first day it was still no. And Mm -hmm. I said, okay, your life matters to God. He created you. He knit you exactly the way you are. Yeah. You know, you matter to him. You matter to us. So he went on home and then the next day he came by and I said, does your life matter? And he said, yes, it matters. And I said, to who? And he was able to say it matters to God Mm. and it matters to you and it matters to, you know, all of our leaders there and everyone on that team that know him. We had several people who had been more than once, so they knew Solomon. And it matters to your sponsor who is pouring into you. So... That was just a huge, um, you know, sometimes we're like, we're going there and we're going to be a blessing, but really it's just the opposite. They're such a blessing to us. Right, right. And I think that's something, especially if you've been in the church very long and you've heard a lot of, I've heard through the years of people that say you go on a mission trip or you go on something thinking you're the one going to help. You're the one going to, you know bring your gifts and talents, which you are, but at the same time, God shows you very much that, um, it can weigh more about than about you and that there are other people that, that you can pour into, but that are also reminding you that he loves everybody and that he, his main thing is that he wants us to be able to share his love with the people that are either around us you know, when we go to kids camp in the summer, my husband and I, you know, I grew up or my kids grew up with me going to camp with them. And, um, there were all, there was always something that happened over that course of that week that, you know, mm-hmm. I'm thinking I'm just going to help hand out medication <laughs> you yes. know, to kids that are there, but there was always some kiddo there that just needed you, you know, to put your arm around them and, and say, Hey, I love you and God loves you and it's going to be okay. And how can I help or how can I pray for you? Mm -hmm. Um, so I I love that. That's a beautiful, I was sitting here trying not to cry too, (laughs) but you know, that that's obviously it's, it's something that, um, like you said, that God had laid out this plan in front of you to where your steps and what you, um, maybe were doing in your career, felt like one thing, but God had a whole nother purpose. Um, mm-hmm. And I know one of the verses that's been on my heart this last year, especially with COVID and things being so whack the last 18 months, mm-hmm. like they have, has been this verse in Isaiah 43 that talks about, um, you know, forget the things of the past, but I'm doing new things. Do you even perceive it that I'm making a river in the desert and in the wilderness and that God has always got something else ahead of us that we don't even really know about yet that we haven't seen that he's preparing. So I, I love your story. Um, I was going to ask one other thing. I, I don't know. Are there things in terms of the moms that you've seen in these countries compared to, I mean, they can't be any different than we are. They've got to have the same kind of concerns, but what's maybe something you've learned from the moms 
um, maybe that you've met through the years on these trips? I think sometimes, um, you know, people who are not familiar with the countries and haven't built relationships with families. Um, and I probably had the same perception my first time, um, is that they didn't care for their children, but they very much want to care for their children. They very much love their children. They're just in a survival, just trying to survive the day. Right. Um, and I thought, wow, that's, I think parent, you know, being a mom is hard here. They're just trying to help their families survive another day to have at least one meal. And so I guess that was an eye opener for me that it's not that they're neglectful. It's that they just don't have the means to provide and that they have that resilience day after day after day, just try to figure out how can I meet my child's need. Right. So that's something in terms of meeting needs that you guys obviously are doing through the sponsorship ministries there, but you also have um, the Melissa Outreach Center here, right? So tell me a little bit about that before we wrap up. So the Melissa Community Outreach looks very different than all, all of our other ministries, but it's still helping families and children that are vulnerable. So that's a food pantry type situation. They do have some like coats and things like that, but it, the prior, the main thing is food. And so anyone is welcome to come there that is going through a hard time to pick up food and be able again to provide for their families. And then, so you guys obviously have volunteer and donation opportunities, things like that through the website or, Definitely, there is opportunity there for donations of uh, food, and then from time to time, uh, there, there's a need for someone to come help, kind of organize. Um, and so that that is, we have lots of um, opportunities to volunteer uh, during the day, but that's a place with our other ministries. But that's a place where you know, you can volunteer during the day, in the evenings, weekends. Um, So that's a place where if somebody can't volunteer during the day, they can volunteer there just about any time. Okay. Okay. Well, like I said, I'll I'll make sure and have all this kind of stuff in the show notes in terms of the link um, to the sponsorship page and and your email and obviously the website uh, and then the it's the Melissa Community Outreach. Is that what you said? It's called. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, Sarah, thank you so much uh, for being on. And I just I appreciate you sharing about this ministry that's just right under my own nose here in town and how that um, obviously, you know, God walked ahead of you and mapped out your steps and brought you from one thing to the other. And obviously, um, you have a deep love for children and for students and to see you kind of go from um working in schools, but still working in children, but with a little bit of a different purpose um, than just to continue to share um, God's love for you to other people and for them. Um, I just love hearing about your story. So I appreciate you so much for being on. Thanks for having me. And I'm just, if anything, you know, God 
can do such a work in your life if you're just obedient. Like I am just so messed up. <laughs> he continues <laughs> to all. Yes, uh. he continues to give me wisdom and strength and all the things we need to do the hard work. Well, I appreciate your uh, example and what you've been doing through the 25 Project and your leadership. Um, And like I said, guys, I will link all the information in the show notes. So thanks for listening today, friends, to the Drafted Moms podcast. And until next time, happy Wednesday. Hey, y'all, I'm so thankful for these amazing women God has led me to who share their expertise, how he's using them in their sphere of influence, or how he's brought them through the challenges we all often face. You know, I can't help but think about all the new taking place as we find a new normal in 2021. There's a verse I've had on my heart the last couple of years from Isaiah 43, where God talks about forgetting about the past, watching that he's doing something new, but do we even see it? And that he's even bringing rivers in the desert. I don't know about you, but knowing God is restoring and bringing new refreshing water into the picture is comforting. Y'all, he's so good like that. Don't forget to follow along at Drive Through Moms on Instagram. Share our journey with your friends. And most important, leave a great review on Apple Podcasts so more people will find us. All the links are in my Instagram bio. So until next week, happy Wednesday. Happy Wednesday.